A growing number of Republican senators find themselves in toss-up races as they face their 2020 re-election. But that doesn't mean they're distancing themselves from the most polarizing figure in American politics, President Donald Trump. This is Political Theater, and I'm Jason Dick. Nathan Gonzalez has been tracking these races for a living for quite a while now. Uh, he's just updated some of his Senate races, and we're going to talk about that and how it relates to the impeachment inquiry and President Donald Trump and how these Republicans are positioning themselves. Nathan, welcome to Political Theater. Thank you for having me again. It's always wonderful to have you on the podcast. Uh, for uh, your publication, Inside Elections, uh, you have updated some Senate races recently. Let's talk about uh, some of those updates, um, and then we'll dive into the question of how this relates to the president and the general political vibe out there right now. Sure. The, the first race uh, in North Carolina, where Republican Senator Tom Tillis is running for re-election, uh, we changed that rating from tilt Republican to toss-up. Uh, Senator Tillis faces a competitive primary election. Uh, he Another a piece of evidence of that competitiveness is that he has uh, two point, he reserved or purchased $2.2 million of television airtime from now until next year's primary, which is half of the cash that he had. And so that's evidence that he realizes there's a, a problem that needs to be fixed. And if he gets to the general or whomever the Republican nominee is, they will have a competitive general election uh, with, a, I expect, North Carolina to be a presidential battleground and a battleground for the Senate as well. Um, another s Republican senator we moved to a more vulnerable category is Joni Ernst of Iowa, from likely Republican to lean Republican. Uh, I think Iowa is a place, I mean, the president did well in Iowa in 2016, but over the course of the year, is it a place where his trade policies uh, kind of come back to bite him or bite the Republican Party? Uh, I think it's a big question, and I think her fate is somewhat tied to the president, as are other Republican senators. And then two races that we moved in favor of in favor of the Republicans, the two Georgia races from lean Republican to likely Republican. Um, I think Repo Democrats are, are struggling to find a top-tier challenger. They admit they don't have much of a bench after losing uh, many races over the last few years. And so it's, it, the burden of proof is on Democrats to, to get a candidate, both against Senator David Perdue, the Republican, and also the soon-to-be-next-year-appointed senator who, who will replace Johnny Isaacson when he resigns. Yeah, and what's interesting about the, about this, you know, these states is that they're not, you know, they're not all out of the same mold, right? I mean, North Carolina is a growing state. Uh, it has been a a presidential battleground for years, even though it seems, I mean, like the Republicans sort of have dominated at the state level for quite a while in the state legislature, uh, even though the the there's a Democratic governor now. Georgia is this is is almost like I mean I'm from Arizona and I've I've been hearing about how Arizona is going to be a swing state just just you wait for a long time it seems like we're getting closer uh, in 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 the way politics are registering there they Arizona elected a Democrat in in 2018 uh, Kirsten Cinema that the person she defeated was then appointed Martha McSally uh, and she's running in in 2020 Georgia same thing except as you said you you need somebody to beat somebody and right now the Democrats have no candidates even though they have this potentially um, like favorable 
situation in Georgia. Yeah. That, and that and to be fair, place to be fair, they do have some uh, against David Perdue, John Ossoff, who lost the sixth district special election in 2017. Uh, Mayor, the most expensive Mayor, house race, yeah, twenty-five ever, plus ever. million dollars. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Teresa Tomlinson, uh, Mayor of Savannah. Um, Sarah Riggs Amico, who ran as the LG candidate again, uh, um, along with Stacey Abrams in that race. So they have some; they're just unproven, uh, unproven statewide. So going into our, you know, the where I wanted to jump from there is this situation that a lot of of potentially vulnerable Republican senators find themselves in. So Cory Gardner, uh, the Republican senator from. Colorado has has been at the top of most Democratic target lists for a while. You have rated as a toss up uh, for quite some time now, and Colorado is, if anything, sort of more trending more blue uh, Democratic than than being a traditional swing state. Cory Gardner won, you know, in a it wasn't so much a surprise toward the end, but I, I think that you know he he came he he, was, he presented himself as a very good candidate in 2014. Uh, and now he has some real competition with uh, with potentially John Hickenlooper, the former governor uh, and former presidential candidate. And he let's talk about the weird situation he finds himself in, though, because I- even though he is a good candidate and he seems somewhat popular, if he's tied too closely to the president, he he jeopardizes his general election, you know, but also he can't really stray that far from the, from President Donald Trump either because he needs all the Republicans he can get in a place like Colorado to win. Right. And I think Republicans on the Hill, there's probably a divide. I think there are some Republicans who have come around. They love the president. They like how he treats the media. They like how he treats Democrats and they like how he how he's doing. I think other Republicans are more uncomfortable with the president, but politically they live in fear of the president, not necessarily of the president himself, but in fear of losing his supporters because they need those supporters in order to win. Specifically with Senator Gardner, um, you know, he just getting all the Republicans, he, first of all, you have to get all the Republicans you can. I talked to a, a Republican pollster last week who said these vulnerable Republicans or any of ones, not just the ones we've been talking about, they need at least 93% of the Republican vote, or it's just an, a non-starter. Um, but for Senator Gardner, if he gets 100% of the Republican vote, according to the 2016 exit polls, that gets him 24%, 24%. So then uh, he has to get independents who are probably uncomfortable with the president, maybe angry with the president, or... Uh, waiting to see what happens with the impeachment uh, inquiry and investigation. He has to get a side. He's not going to get any Democrats. Democrats are unified against the president, probably going to be unified against Republican candidates. And so if he if he doesn't get all the Republicans, then it's going to be he's going to have to get probably a disproportional share of independence that will be maybe impossible for him to do. This almost it reminds me a little bit of the situation Scott Brown uh, found himself in in Massachusetts in, in 2012. He had won a special election to replace the late Senator Teddy Kennedy, uh, and he, he defeated Martha Coakley, a, a somewhat, um, you know, a, not a great candidate uh, in, in. You're being uh, very diplomatic <laughs> as distance. Um, <laughs> And and then he as heading into 2012 in a presidential year. I mean, granted, Massachusetts is a is a pretty democratic place, but the numbers were he was always 
um, running from behind. You know, he, he was always going to have trouble in a general election, particularly a presidential election with Barack Obama at the top of the ticket. Even with Mitt Romney uh, also on the ticket, former governor of, of uh, Massachusetts, he always w- started off kind of behind the eight ball and he lost to Elizabeth Warren. Uh, so it was this it, it was it, it almost seems a little similar that no matter what he does, he can run a flawless race and he still may not win. Because I, I think even since Senator Gardner won the initial race over Democratic Senator Udall, uh, I think the state has shifted. For example, uh, Democrats are, are quick to point out that Walker Stapleton, who was the 2018 nominee for governor in Colorado, received 100,000 more votes than Senator Gardner did in 2014. Now, the no- Gardner won by three points, 49 to 46 in 2014. Walker Stapleton, 100,000 more votes, lost by 10. Jared Polis. Lost by 10 points. I mean, that is, that's a pretty stunning, uh, a stunning piece of data. I think if you're looking, if, if you're looking at the senator and, but other senators, I mean, that's, he's the most extreme case in terms of these toss-up senators. But in Arizona, if Martha McSally gets all of the Republican vote, that probably gets her to 32%. Tom Tillis probably gets him to about 31%. All of them have to have a coalition of Republicans and independents in order to win. And the president makes that politically very difficult. And their primaries also make it difficult too, because they need to uh, demonstrate to the Republican primary electorate that they're loyal Republicans, that they stand with the president because those are the sort of, of uh, voters that are dominating in these primaries. And then they need to quickly pivot to a general election uh, situation, especially in a place like Arizona, which has a late primary, uh, to to demonstrate that they have appeal, that they can build this coalition, like you say, right. that they can attract Democrats, independents, minorities, uh, people who t- traditionally vote Democratic. So it makes it that much more difficult. And we'll see how with Senator McSally's primary challenge, the challenger, I think he raised $10,000, put in another 120000 of his own money. So not that's big money to, to you and I, <laughs> but the, in terms of the... Sounds like a ticket to the World Series. You <laughs> yeah, that's right. Look at you in the 400, 400 level. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of the election, that's not a lot. So we'll see if that develops. But that's an August late primary, as you said. North Carolina, it's an early primary. It's in March. And so we'll have a, a little better idea. And that nominee will have time to recover financially. But can, uh, can he recover politically from what needs to be done to attract independents that may be turned off by that primary rhetoric? And then you have some states where it's just a it's a unique situation almost like to like it's tailor made just to that one state Iowa you mentioned Senator Joni Ernst you had moved her into a more vulnerable category Um, Iowa is 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 not what you would think of typically as a swing state necessarily Uh, the president won it by 10 points in 2016 but Barack Obama won it uh, fairly handily in 2008 and 2012 and and so it, it is it tends to go with the winners um, and they you know the, the politics are interesting there uh, that but they've got this they're wrapped up in this trade dispute with China because so many exports go from Iowa to China and and some of the people you know even very loyal Republicans have got to be thinking like if I don't get if I don't offload some of this pork and these soybeans uh, it, you know, this, I'm out of business. I mean, and, and Senator Ernst has been right there in the middle of that. And know. so far, farmers have given, uh, given the president a lot of leeway. I mean, farmer in general, I would say a majority of Republican leaning farmers, uh, 
even if it's hurting them now, that they believe that the president has gotten the best deal possible. They believe in him as a person and believe in his deal-making abilities, but can that continue over the next year? And, and is there a point where that dynamic changes and that's where it makes Senator Ernst reelection more complicated that if Iowa becomes more of a swing state again, you know, there are mixed numbers. There's all sorts of data points. You, there are the, the presidentials, but Republicans won, also won the gubernatorial race in 2018, but Democrats won three out of four congressional races and almost a fourth, which would sweep the delegation. So it's kind of a mix and match on the data. I just think it's going to be it's going to get more competitive rather than less competitive over the next 12 months. Finally, I just want to mention Maine also because uh, Senator Susan Collins, a veteran uh, Republican senator, is up for re-election. Uh, some of her votes, in particularly in favor of confirming Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, have been an issue. Maine um, is has has gone Democratic pretty consistently over the last few you know few years, few election cycles. Uh, but she is in a potentially vulnerable situation as well. Sure. Uh, she's likely going to face uh, state speaker Sarah Gideon. Uh, we'll see as a candidate how Sarah Gideon ends up performing, but the politics of the state make Collins in a, puts Collins in a vulnerable position. You know, she has defeated formidable opponents in the past, but I think we are in a uh, a place of more polarization than before. If we go remembered in 2016, the presidential outcome and the Senate outcome matched up in every single state. Uh, and, and not that that necessarily is going to happen again, but that's an important reminder for the senators who could be in states that the president loses. In 2016 is also on the mind of some of these senators because they saw how Senator Kelly Ayotte of New Hampshire and Congressman Joe Heck, who was running for the Senate in Nevada, backed away from the president uh, in the in the shadow or the wake of the Access Hollywood tape. And they ended up losing, uh, losing their races. And I think these senators don't want to repeat some of those, repeat what happened to their colleagues. And in their mind, they said, well, I better stick with the president because if I don't, then I, uh, it's going to create more problems. Well, Nathan, thanks for walking through this with us. Um, you know, you're, uh, you'll, you'll have a, an update on RollCall.com uh, to follow along with the updates that you've made uh, at Inside Elections. Uh, thank you very much for, for taking us through it. That's right. Go Nets. <laughs> yes, indeed. Political Theater is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.